You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone, super excited to bring you Alejandro Navia today, who's the co-founder and president of NFT Now, which is the premier source of NFT content and analysis. And look, I've been following their podcast. They've got some good stuff. As far as I know, they're one of the few kind of NFT focused media companies. And I wanted to have him come on this podcast to talk about the space and kind of what he's seeing and also what's working from like a growth perspective. So Alejandro, how's it going? Eric, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here and super excited to dive in. Yeah. Pleasure to have you, man. So yeah, before we start, I mean, let's, oh, I guess we're starting, but tell us about your story a little bit and how it's led up to where you are now. Oh man, it's an interesting question. I think my story is one, it's both an anomaly and an enigma. And I, and I think I love that because I spent a lot of my twenties in the process of exploration and discovery. So I, I like, you know, so, so many people are just so gung-ho about like really focused on one area or one something they're like, they're really passionate about it. For me, it was really more about exploring my different passions and seeing where those things would lead us. But somehow my constant element has always been the intersection of storytelling and emerging tech. And so like, I've always found myself in the media world or storytelling world or in the people-centric world, right? And so I've been in digital media for about 13 years. I helped build and sell Elite Daily for $50 million back in 2015. Then I was the youngest member of the content strategy and acquisitions team at Verizon and had some great successes in my in my history but also some some really great failures you know a, a lot of learning experiences you know I launched two two companies with a co-founder that we, we didn't agree eye to eye that was a lot of deep learning experiences on that front um, launched a ocean nonprofit organization that's still very much uh, very alive and you know I've been in the crypto space since 2014 where I bought my first Bitcoin I've been in ethereum from I think 2016 when Jesse Gershak introduced me to it uh, with my friend Amanda Gutterman at Consensus. I got in at $7. We helped Amanda and Jesse stand up a lot of those spokes in terms of a branding and storytelling perspective from Ethereal to the Enterprise Alliance and a few other companies that they, they were launching at the time. So it's been an incredible journey. I've been doing a few things in aerospace, AI, serial entrepreneur. And then in 2020, I found myself burning out the beginning of 2020 pre-COVID. And I took some time off and two days before the pandemic hit, I quit my job and I was like, whoa, what am I going to do? What's next? I didn't really have it. And I became an executive coach and I really loved, I love helping founders and high performers create freedom and fulfillment in their lives. And specifically through the areas of their work, because a lot of times we as founders and entrepreneurs, we get lost in the work, right? We find achievement and, but not fulfillment. You know, we, we have this elusiveness around what we need to accomplish next, that if we do that next thing, we'll feel fulfilled, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to help a lot of founders avoid the pitfalls that I went through, right? And really become and help them navigate a more well-balanced, conscious leadership-based journey through while they're building amazing companies that are changing the world. And when the pandemic hit, I ended up moving to Jackson Hole on a whim with my wife. We sold everything in our apartment in Brooklyn, New York. We had been living there for a decade and we bought a Jeep Wrangler. We packed up our stuff. We packed our dog up and we drove across country. It was an incredible adventure. What was supposed to be a six-week escape ended up being an 11-month, I think 11 or 12 months 
out in Jackson Hole, and it was just really epic to be living on a 20-acre property where you barely saw any people. So it was just you and you and nature. I got to see more moose and elk than humans. It was really dope, small town vibes, but really being in the core of nature. And so I invited my friend Matt Medved, who's now my co-founder at NFT Now, and he came in December 2020, and he came wide-eyed and foaming at the mouth, and he was like, "Yo, knobs." nfts bro nft this nft that and i was just like "Mm, that's really interesting like that's really dope i'm still into coaching i was doing my thing i was heavily into mushrooms and psilocybin so helping people really navigate that mental health conversation and seeing the power of that plant medicine and so i was like oh that's really cool that's really interesting bro let me know how i can be of support we've always been you know sounding boards for one another and then two weeks later, I came home to find my roommate, Sam, who's now my co-founder as well in Jackson Hole, plugged in directly to the router. And I'm like, yo, what are you doing, bro? Like the Wi-Fi is strong enough, dude. We got a gig. Like you don't have to plug in. He's like, bro, NBA Top Shop, they're doing a drop. And I was like, NBA Top, what? What is this? Like, what are you doing? There's no stadium here. Like, what? 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 And he was just like, nah, man, you know, digital, you know, those cards, like collectible cards like with basketball players. I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's up? He's like the digital version. I'm like, what? That's a thing. And he's like, yeah, bro. NBA Top Shop. I'm like, what is that? And he goes, NFTs, bro. NFTs. And the moment he said that, he had that same look in that, that Matt had just two weeks prior. And so when I know that these two very highly respected people in my life that I really love and care for, who are very much in the forefront of culture, bring me something, it's either they're crazy or they're onto something. So I decided to lean onto they're onto something. And Matt started an Instagram account, I think a week later, that started, which was NFT Now, and it started growing organically. And as much as we started doing research as to what NFTs were, things of that capacity, there wasn't anything in the space. Everything that we found was like either fragmented, broken, self-serving, or just straight up scams. Like there wasn't a trusted objective voice that can help you onboard yourself to the NFT space. And so being the serial entrepreneurs that we are and being in the media space for so long, we saw this as a responsibility, not an opportunity. We saw this as a responsibility for us to create a media platform that helps onboard people to, from, to NFTs. I love that. And so I, I do want to come back to exec coaching. I want to talk about psilocybin as well. And I do want to talk about Jackson Hole too. There's a lot of things here, but being that this is a marketing related podcast, I guess my first question would be looking at your guests, right? You've had Reese Witherspoon, you've had Gary Vee, you've had a lot of these influential people on the pod. And I guess my question would be, you guys have been doing NFT now for a little bit now. What does the reach look like? And I guess I'll start there first. Yeah, man. I think we've been we've been doing NFT now now for over a year. We're an omni-channel uh, media company. So that what does that mean is that we have multiple different pipelines of content. We do editorial, audio, podcast, Twitter Spaces, original video, social video, IRL events, and URL events. So we're really a multimedia company when you think about it from the perspective of that angle. I think our reach, really our network effect is really across all these different platforms. And we can find a lot of our audience and our community comes through us in a very organic way. We have $0 ad spend on our customer acquisition costs. So everything that we've built out so far, I think we have a network of over 700,000 people in reach. And then for a year old company, that's really, really solid. And we just, we just really speak to the voice of the individuals who are curious. So we really cater to two demographics that are really important and as to why our success 
is comes down to the tourist and the purist in the space. So we navigate this world where we kind of bridge these two together. And the tourists in the space are looking for, for example, like the NFT 101. What's an NFT? How do I buy one? How do I get one? What's a board ape, right? Like, why is Reese Witherspoon's interested in this? Well, like, why does Gary V keep saying V France is going to be like the project, right? Like, these are the questions that people are like, yo, I've seen it. I've seen the headlines. I'm very interested. I'm kind of curious. And I like to get involved, right? That's one area of our segment. And then the other area that we cater to from a marketing perspective is the purists in the space. These are the ones that are like, you know, quote unquote, navigating OpenSea on a daily basis. They are Nansen, IC tools. They're, you know, they know the lingo, the GMs, the WAGMEs, the GMIs, you know, the full capacity on Twitter every day, the Twitter space crew, the ones that are looking for the alpha, the whitelist, you know, the ones that are really navigating the space from a day-to-day basis. And we cater to them through multiple areas, right? We do deep dive guides. We do we give them alpha. We share their projects, and we also highlight the individuals who are at the core of the community onto the mainstream platforms, right? And so that brings them into light. That gives them a breath of fresh air, and we educate both. So I think our our really our mission is to empower the creators of culture and bring NFTs from niche to mainstream, and that's how we do it. Got it. You know, we've talked about on this podcast where like you look at Morning Brew, the newsletter. So what they do now is they have like a creator, they're basically helping creators grow, right? And like, hey, we'll handle all the back office stuff you guys just create. HubSpot yesterday just came out with their, they're actually helping podcast creators, right? Like adding them to the network and helping them grow that way. Shopify just launched something where it's like they're helping creators like create these like quick pages, right? So everything's like creator slash media related. And I, I think Bill Gates in the, the early 90s said like everybody's, every company's going to become a media company, right? And so I think a lot of people listening to this are like, shit, like I, I want to become a media company. So what do you think's contributed the most to your guys' growth? Because 700K followers across the board and your reach, I'm assuming is even higher than that, but like 700K is really impressive. So wh- what do you think was like one of the core drivers there? I think one of the core drivers is authenticity and trust. I think that that's really becoming really powerful in a space full of noise, right? Like if you look at NFT now, we don't shill any project. We don't really promote anything that we don't personally align with. We do a lot of deep research before we hit publish. We really put our community at the core of everything that we do, right? That in the short term may have some pitfalls, but in the long term, it's always a winning strategy, right? Another thing that we really cater to is really the fundamental understanding that people really want content without pop-ups or advertising or anything along those lines. So a really clean experience where, where you can interact with content in a wonderful way, right? And so when you look at our website, you don't see any banners, you don't see any programmatic advertising, there's no pixel tracking of any capacity. I think the only thing that we have in terms of plugin is Google Analytics. Just to, you know, we need to make sure that we're tracking that concepts. But the future of media really comes down to a community first approach that has privacy at the core of it. And it's such an intimate relationship with content because like information diets are so critically important, right? Like basically we base all of our, 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 most of our decisions, whether conscious or unconscious decision-making based on the content that we consume. And so for us, when we look at the content at NIT now, we see it as a responsibility to educate our consumers and our community and empower them to make decisions, right? And empowerment comes through a 
being a trusted voice, making sure that we do the research, we figure things out, we stand by our word. We say no a lot. We've turned down a significant amount of revenue in the last year just so that we can actually continue on our brand play. We say no to a lot of shilling of the projects that people tell us. We said what we what we say yes to has gone through a very refined process and filtering concept. And then authenticity, man. I think authenticity is really a powerful tool that very few people have actually leverage. Everybody talks about it, but very few brands actually bring it forward to the to the forefront. And NFT now is not about us. It's about the community, right? We're here to highlight the creators. We're here to highlight the artists, the platforms, the, the builders, right? That's what it really is. It, it's a voice for the community. So I always say NFT now is not about us, but it is through us, right? And so we are that megaphone and that platform that authentically you know, promotes and amplifies what the community is doing. I, I think you touched upon something really important too, because a lot of marketers that might listen to this is like, how, do, how can I make a quick buck, right? For example, there are some projects out there, I'm not going to name names, where like they'll drop and then, you know, it, it's very clear that the founders are trying to like, it's like a quick cash grab, right? But you find that the one, the projects that are building for the long term, just like any business, right? You build for the long term and you focus on the customer, you focus on the community, then you're able to build something really special. For example, you know, Gary V keeps harping on it, but like at the end of the day, he's a very long-term thinker and it's the same thing for you guys, right? So it's like, keeping that in mind, not trying to monetize on every little thing. That's how you build a community for the long term. So the main channels for you, would you say, because you have the podcast, you have IG, you have your events. What would yeah. you say is like the main, main one? You know, I don't think we have a main, main, main one, but I really, a main driver is having owned and operated, right? Like one of the things that we learned in through our media experience of the mid 2010s is that the, being dependent on a single platform is really dangerous, mm -hmm. right? Because people can turn off the faucet, people can turn off the, the traffic, things of that capacity, because then you're at the whims, right? And I think I'm learning this from actually confounded by David Perel and Rite of Passage. He says, like, you know, if you own your domain, if you own your email list, like no one can deplatform you, right? And that's really the powerful tool. So I think the .com is an incredibly powerful tool for our editorial. Our newsletter is really strong as well. Our podcast is really strong as well. You know, we leverage the Twitter and we leverage Instagram appropriately, but we're not dependent on them, right? Like we're meeting our audience where they're at and our community where they're at and helping them, bringing them to where we need them to go. So I think that that's, that's really an interesting question actually, because we're not dependent on any particular one, but we what we really drive to is to make sure that we bring as much value to our community as possible, wherever they may be. So if they visit us on our .com or through our newsletter or through our podcast, we want to make sure that our content is the most premium experience that they have, regardless of where they get it from. Yeah, that, that's 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 smart. That's a smart experience share there because you can't rely on any channel. I mean, even with the .com, Google can ban you, right? And the traffic's gone. So it's like the email list, SMS, all those things, whatever you can control, you make the most of those while you still have the reach. Um, so that's great. So executive coaching, I've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast. My podcast co-host, not so much of a fan of it, but I, I am big time, right? I have, you know, I, I have a coach that I've worked with recently the last two years or so, and he's been a huge help, right? So do you want to talk about maybe how because a lot of people are like, I don't need coaching. I don't need it for me. Like coaching is almost it's therapy. And like, maybe from your perspective, can you tell us what benefits you've seen your students, we shouldn't say students, your clients mm -hmm. get from it. And then maybe what you've seen from it yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for highlighting that. This is an area that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I think I've been coaching even before I called myself a coach, but 
One of the things I want to first highlight is that I don't have clients. What I have is partners, right? These individuals are incredibly high performing people who are always going to be looking at ways so that they can improve themselves, right? Like, how do I get that edge? How do I optimize? What's the 1% that I can improve that's going to get me a 30, 50% outcome better down the road? And so it's really an investment in yourself, right? Like when you have a coach, you getting the exclusionary point of view, right? So it's the way I can acknowledge, I give you this is like the human brain is wired to not see your nose. When you look forward, you can't see your nose, but you know it's there, right? Like, you know it's there, but you can't look at it unless you cross your eyes, right? Like, we, we never see, when we look out, we can't see our nose. So think about it from that perspective. Life is that way. You are the nose of your life. You know, it's there, but sometimes you don't really see what you're, everything that you need to be seeing, right? So on a coach, what does is really powerful is that it brings you empowering questions and empowers you to make powerful decisions that you would otherwise not be A, access, accessible to, or B, not been kind of like hesitating around. And I always say that coaching is a, it's one of the most intimate relationships because you have to be 100% open and 100% vulnerable in that container. And a coach has to be there to take a stand for you, right? Your coach should not be people pleasing you to not be telling you yes, your coach should be there to hold a stand for your highest and best self and focus on the outcomes that you really truly want. I always say that the coach is there as as a mirror to what the client really wants to accomplish or fulfill in their lives. And the client is always in charge, right? And as a coach, we're there to be that driver, that polisher, that shape up, that person or that in that corner that can be the stand and be the most committed person to your growth. And that's really what is so powerful about it. It's incredibly an emotional relationship that allows you to be seen, to be witnessed, to be challenged, to be held accountable. You know, a lot of us in the high performance world, founders, we are accountable to ourselves that's it, right? A lot of us don't really have bosses. Like, I think like most of us don't even answer to our investors, right? Like that's really what it is. It's like, yo, this is my business. You want to be part of it. And that's great mentality. But like, how do you hold yourself accountable and how do you deal with your quote unquote shit with, by moving forward? So I always say that coaching is completely different than therapy. It could be as a form of therapy. It can be really powerful, but coaching focuses on moving forward while therapy can actually help you just make sense of the past, right? Or the present. While coaching is really a forward moving action in creating progress in your life. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's been kind of a combination of the two. Um, to, I do agree. Like a, a really good coach knows how to ask questions. Doesn't necessarily tell you what to do. That's the biggest thing, right? Cause I've had quote unquote coaches long time ago where it's like, they're just giving you a list and they're giving you a template. That's not necessarily, that's more of like an educator, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. It's an advisor. That's a teacher, right? Like a coach. I always say the best coaches are the ones that show you where to look, but don't tell you what to see. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's been so beneficial. I mean, part of the reason why, like, for example, I have this turtle in front of me is because of my coach, right? Tells me to slow down a little bit. But part of the reason I'm in Miami is because I've had that conversation. I, I realized over time that I need to 
leave LA, which I've been in for the last, you know, my whole life, right. You know, coaching goes a long way. So I guess my question for you is how do people go about finding the quote unquote, right coach, right? Cause there's, I think coaching gets a bad rap in some cases because there's like people that might be like coming out of high school that are life coaches. And so, you know, yeah, again, how do they find the right ones? What, what are your recommendations there? Yeah. First and foremost, I like anyone who's even asking the question around a coach, I want to celebrate them because that takes a lot. It's an act of courage to say, I need help. And to be able to acknowledge that is such, such a brave act. And so having that self-awareness needs to be celebrated, acknowledged. So if you're looking for a coach, the fact that you're even acknowledging that you're way ahead of the game. So congratulations on that front. And you're right, man. Like coaching has become this new quote unquote on Vogue situation where like someone young people or not young people, but I said like, whatever it is, I celebrate that because they're there. What I celebrate is the fact that there are people out in the world trying to make the world a better place. One individual at a time. Yes. Are there the scammers and the people who don't really know what they're doing? Absolutely. But that comes with every industry, right? Like if every fine, like in finance, we all have the Bernie Madoffs of the world, right? Like, and in racing and this and that, whatever industry there is, there's going to be bad actors, right? So the fact that, in coaching is getting that bad rep. I think that's an unfair aspect to say, right? But when you actually look at that net positive, it's like people are trying to become better conscious leaders and better improve and improving their lives, which is when you think about the individual perspective of, of improving the individual, you improve the world. And so when you start thinking about looking for a coach, I would just say interview, man. Like the interview process is really, really about it. Like you have to make sure that the coach, you and the coach are really in alignment personality wise, right? Not everyone's going to be your cup of tea, right? And if your coach is making you uncomfortable because they're pulling things out that you haven't addressed, that doesn't mean that they don't like you, right? And if, but if they're making you uncomfortable because they're, they're a little creepy or you don't really vibe with their personality, that's a clear sign that it's not a, that's not an alignment, right? So I always tell my clients that like, this has to be a fuck yes from both of us. Like if it's not a fuck yes to you, then, and it's a fuck yes to me, then the relationship's not going to work out and vice versa. Right. And I always tell my potential clients like, Hey, if it's not me, I'm happy to introduce you to an other array of my colleagues who are here. Cause it's so individualized. One area that it's really important. is also like to know, figure out what areas of your life you want to improve on. Right. There's a, like, Life coaching is such an overarching concept that it's just like, I always tell people, get specific, right? Niches equals riches. There's going to be a lot of high-performing coaches that are great at executive coaching, for example. Amazing. There's a great coaches that are do fundraising coaching. There's a lot of great people who do just like high-performance coaching for betterment and structure and systems in place, right? So know when you what you're looking for in what specific area and find that coach who's been mastering it in depth, right? And remember that coaching is not just about that, that one area that you want to improve on. Your coach has to be able to address the whole person, right? Like if you're having a rough day with your relationship that's affecting your performance, your coach should be able to be there for you to address that area. Even if it's not necessarily the area of expertise, they should be able to hold space. And a great coach will always tell you when, where their capabilities have extended themselves, right? So I always tell my clients, look, the moment I onboard you as my, as my coaching partner, my role is to fire myself as quick as possible. 
right? Because I want you to be as empowered and as confident as possible within our container that you no longer need me, right? That's really the, the key aspect. A good coach will tell you that the relationship is finite. Because like if you have these coaches, the red flag for me is a coach who has the same clients consistently year over year over year and not bringing in new individuals. That's really something that's a red flag. Unless, of course, you're already at a high performance level, like the Tony Robbins of the space or, you know, the Stevens of the world, like that are really just so fine tuned, really, really well fine tuned that clients are just like, yo, I, I can keep going with this guy. And they themselves, the coaches are out coaching themselves. So from that perspective, I always say that I always recommend really asking for referrals, asking coaches like, Hey, let me speak to some of your clients. How can I do this? And then obviously Trusting your intuition. This is a big investment, you know, making sure that you feel 100% ready and 100% comfortable with making this investment is incredibly important. Two things there. I mean, one is with, with coaches, like to your point, once you feel like the conversations start to level, it's like the same conversations over and over. That's when you know it's, it's kind of leveling off and it might be time to potentially move on. And then the other thing is in business, let's say, for example, you're looking to talk to lawyers, you have tax lawyers, you have corporate lawyers, you have employment lawyers, right? There's like all, all types of specialties. So I think that that's huge as well. I do want to talk about one more thing real quick. Actually, two more things. Your move to Jackson Hole. And now are you splitting time with Jackson Hole and Miami right now? Is that how it works? Yeah, I am. Okay. So talk about that real quick, because I, I think like for me moving from LA, like my plan now is to be bi-coastal, right? Doing Miami and LA. And I think we're seeing a lot of this kind of hybrid situation. So can you talk about kind of your, your move to Jackson Hole and kind of why you decided to potentially split time? Oh man, I I could tell you that right now. So my move to Jackson Hole was out of a whim. I trusted it. I think it was just like look, seeking for adventure. And I've always wanted to really live out in the mountains. And the reason why I keep spending time back and forth with Jackson Hole is because I, and, I, and like it's something to note here is that I have an incredibly strong relationship with God. My faith is at the core of everything that I do. Like I put God first and everything. And when I'm in Jackson Hole, I feel so close to God. Like I can't even explain it to you. And I don't mean this in a religious way. Like it's not dogmatic i mean some people call it yahweh some people call it you know source the universe whatever it is it's just that that greater force that goes beyond us that's where i feel the most do you feel calmer there it's not calmer i feel more expansive i can think clearly i can feel i can navigate right and i think that that's my sanctuary and i feel like everyone should have a sanctuary whether it's a room in their house or a place in in a favorite city like jackson hole for me is just such a powerful concept and mind you i've lived in over 15 countries across different continents i've lived in hong kong i've lived in ibiza i've lived in europe i lived in south america i've lived in new york but Florida, like, you know, you name it, even Boston, but coming back to Jacksonville, there's just really something magical there. And I really love the freedom that Wyoming has, man. Like the beauty of like the expansiveness of landscapes is really powerful. It's really great for crypto. Uh, actually, NFT now and our DAO are based out of Wyoming. Their, their laws are really powerful around that. And it really, it just aligns with my values. Like a lot of the, the a lot of the things that Jackson Hole has aligns with my, my personal values and the type of life that I want to live. But I also know that community is very challenging there. Building community in Jackson Hole is very challenging. I think they only have like 9,000 people over the course of the year living there and like over 20,000 at peak. And then over a million people are over a million or 6 million people are in transient during the high tourist season. So it's a very transient city. 
And so when I go there, I just go there to connect with my core group. And then I just spend a lot of time in nature. And that's why I like to spend time in Miami because Miami really caters to my entrepreneur community builder, the mover, the shaker, you know, the intellectual sparring, the people that you can actually get to know, the multicultural concepts that you can dive deeper into, the different dynamics of the art, the music, the, you know, the culture, the finance, the blockchain concepts that are happening in Miami is just, you can't ignore it. And that's very has a lot of gravitas for me. Got it. So what what does it look like for you, like the split now, you think? Is it going to be like 75% Miami, 25% uh, Wyoming? or? Yeah, that's how the current split is, right? Once a month, I spend about a week, a week and a half in Jackson Hole. Unfortunately, I won't be able to do it in April and May because of they're closing down the, the airport for renovations. But I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to get there. Like, I just absolutely need it, man. Like, it's, it's a just reset. such a good, I don't even know if it's a reset. It's a plug-in. I don't think it's a reset. It's I think an enhancement. It's, a, it's an enhancement. Yeah, man. Like when I'm there, nothing else matters. And I see so clearly that like the following three weeks, I just perform so focused. Like I, when, when I start kind of like moving too fast, I know I got to book a ticket. It's like, yo, oh. gotta go. Boom. Oh. Right. It's like, get, like your turtle on the, on the, on the desk yeah. is my Jackson hole. Right. Like, and this is why, like, I'm reminded, like, you guys see my eagle. My eagle. And actually, it, if I may, I actually got a tattoo of Jackson Hole. Oh, what? yeah. Like, I have a huge tattoo. That's how important Jackson Hole has become in my life. Like, it's just like, I can't wait to I want to I want to build something there. And I want to build my life by having a full full presence in that in, in, in that city. man. I, I got to go that, with you next time. I think everyone needs to find their own Jackson hole. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I hear you guys. And like, it may not be for everybody. And it's not right. Like, go find that a lot of people find that in Costa Rica in Bali in Thailand in Colombia and Argentina, right? It's about like a place that invigorates you and a place that provides you with so much clarity that you know exactly what you need to do. Got it. Maybe we'll save this. We'll save spirituality and psilocybin for another conversation. But two final questions. Most impactful book that you've read? Ooh, the most impactful book that I've read. There's been so many, dude. I'm a ferocious reader. So like, give me the um, first one that comes to mind. That's fine too. Okay. The one that made me cry. I'll tell you this, like the book that made me cry, The Prophet by Gibral Khan, like an amazing book. He spent four years trying to read it, at the, write it. It's like, it's that's religious profit, book. right? Not like financial profit. No, no, it's the prophet. It's not religious. It's not, a, it's a non-religious no, I mean, the, the title, is it spelled like the religious style or like the, the financial? The prophet, style? prophet, like, you know, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet, there you go. whatever there you go. it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm just always so wary and I'm, I'm very intentional about not using the religious, the religious connotation when it comes mm. to spirituality, because I think that they're both separate and I think it's important to denote that. Mm. Got it. Okay, cool. We'll yeah. put that in the show notes. And then um, final question from my side, most impactful tool that you've added in the last 12 months. So it can be like an aura ring or anything. Most impactful, impactful tool that I've added in the last 12 months. I think it's a combination of three things. I onboarded the coach that I've always wanted to. So I invested in my own coach, but I like a really powerful coach that I speaks my language, speaks to the note, understands where I'm going and where I need to be. I've also invested in a therapist as well. So I can address a lot of my inner child things and a lot of the traumas and a lot of the psychic things that a coach that necessarily needs to be aware of. But the combination of a therapist and a coach has been really powerful. And the other thing that I have integrated that it's a really powerful tool in my life has been authentic communication with my wife. 
Mm. right? Like really surrendering to the container of my marriage has been a really powerful tool and has provided me with so much confidence that like I sleep like a baby at night. So I think like the combination of a coach with a therapist and authentic communication within my partnership and my relationship with my wife has been the best tools that I've added in the last 12 months. All right, guys, tweet at me if you want me to have Alejandro back on this to go deep on all these other things that he's talking about, because I do. I definitely want to go deeper. But Alejandro, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Just on Twitter, at Luis A. Navia. Hit me up. DMs are always open. Go on my website, AlejandroNavia.org. Send me an email. I try to respond to most of them. If I don't, please annoy me. Like a following app is an act of service, I always say. All right, Alejandro, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you, brother. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.